If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Today, I want to encourage you to stop and reflect how intentional have you been with surrounding yourself with rock stars, with badasses, with people that are encouraging you to live your dream, people that have resources and have the ability to impact your life in a positive way? Or are you surrounded with some people that are struggling and maybe, maybe are pulling you back and are creating doubt in your life? Or maybe a, a cast of characters in your life. Whoever you surround yourself, though, I think we can all agree, is going to have a ripple effect in your life. So the good news is that if you choose a group of people, a tribe of people that are high achieving, motivated, uh, happy, it's going to accelerate your success. I think we can all agree upon that. And that's the whole point of this show, is to introduce you to people who have broken through, defied the odds, made a difference in their life, and, and for you to be able to add them to, you know, having them as a mentor as part of your peer group. However, when you're ready to truly start the path to financial freedom and fulfillment in your life, then you can find out about this concept called the mastermind groups. And if you're a high achiever, then I have a mastermind group that's got some room for you. It's a community that's going to blow your mind and what it will bring to you and the impact it'll have on your life. I certainly know this because I've been doing this for eight years and there's nothing I've seen in the personal development field that's more impactful than the powerful curated mastermind group. So all you have to do is jump on a call with a team member, go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and have a conversation with one of my directors of opportunities going to explain to you what that community is all about. See if there's a fit on both sides and then watch your pathway to success become very accelerated so go ahead rockthomas.com forward slash vip call hey welcome to another session of rock your money rock your life i'm your host rock thomas and today's guest dan cockerell is an absolute gem and a beautiful person he is spent 26 years of his life running various positions in walt disney world resort in both theme parks and resort hotels. His last nine years with the company, he was successfully vice president of the Epcot Center, vice president of Disney Hollywood Studios, and eventually vice president of Magic Kingdom, where he led 12,000 cast members and entertained over 20 million guests annually. He earned his MBA in 2001 at the Crummer School of Business at Rollins College. But when you see when I talked to him, he was insatiably curious, always learning from everybody beside him, above him, below him, that he led, that led him, etc. And today he's a keynote speaker uh, and he runs a university where he helps people learn how to improve their management skills. And he's got a great book that you can get if you want called How's the Culture in Your Kingdom. You're going to love this interview with him because it's really real and I like to get you to meet people that you can learn from that are actively making a success of their lives in the real world, not some theory. So beautiful soul, deep family roots, 
and a very, very uh, infectious personality. So let's get to my interview with Dan. I hope you love it. I think you will. And um, an opportunity to meet somebody who's, um, who's, you know, did it from the bottom. He started parking cars and he worked his way all the way up. So let's get to him and his beautiful story. Welcome to the call. I'm thrilled to have you here, Dan. Thanks, Rock. Thanks for having me. So listen, with somebody with your experience, having spent so much time behind what for most people is a fantasy, going to Disney World and having a ton of fun, I'd love to start right away with how first did you get started in that industry? Boy, it was a long and uh, winding road. It's kind of random too. Uh, I, I grew up in the hospitality industry. My dad was with Marriott for many years. And so I was exposed to that. And, uh, you know, I grew up playing sports and I really realized how much I like being with people and on teams. And then uh, when I got to college, um, you know, I was working waiting tables and making some extra money. And I ended up going on the Walt Disney World College program after my sophomore year at Boston University. And uh, they have a, about 12,000 at their at their peak, about 12,000 college kids down at Walt Disney World working. And it was just a great exposure to that environment. And um, when I graduated a couple of years later, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I loved working in highly structured environments and I love working with people and Disney does both of those well. So I, I went down to Walt Disney World and started parking cars at Epcot as my first uh, full-time job and then got started from there. And then, you know, I blinked and 26 years had gone by and 19 different jobs. And uh, it was quite a, uh, it was quite a, um, an experience and I just working with incredibly talented people and a really uh, strong culture. So you literally worked your way from the bottom up. One of the things I like to teach people if they want to take control of their life is to add massive value wherever they are. Just go in early, stay late, uh, say yes to things that are even out of your scope. Tell me a little bit about your experience. Is that is that a philosophy you would embrace? Absolutely. It was, you know, when I got out of BU, a lot of my friends, you know, we were all talking about what everyone was doing and, you know, people were doing pre-law and internships and, you know, I kind of had fun with it. I said, well, I'm going to go park cars in Florida. And uh, I knew that, you know, that's, that's a common story at Disney. Uh, the, the, the company promotes, highly promotes from within. And it's important that people understand what the, what business we're in and that, that where the magic happens is between the frontline employees and the guests. So it's a common story. And uh, to your point, um, you know, I didn't, when I got hired there, I just said yes. And, and, and for the rest of my career. And so I, I started to get a reputation for being someone who was pretty open-minded, pretty flexible. And that's why I got to do 19 different jobs because they knew that, all right, well, let's throw him in this job and see how he does. And I always learned uh, how to, um, make my way. I learned how to not be the know-it-all. Uh, when I went in these jobs, I was, I learned um, in my career, don't start offering ideas until people ask you or are interested to hear about them. At the beginning, we all get in these roles and we want to share all our expertise to kind of prove we should be in those roles. And I learned early on, um, you don't have to prove anything. You just got to get in the job, get to know people, uh, ask lots of questions and uh, suck in as much information as you can and get the experience and uh, like you said, I was always, and I tell this to people all the time, um, just opt in, say yes. If you get a, a reputation for having a great attitude, uh, you will go as far as you want to go. Uh, a lot of people look at how smart people are, or, you know, how creative they are. Those are all important, 
but that attitude piece I learned over the years, I love people working with me who just are always enthusiastic about new things, whatever it is, uh, and jumping in. And that was, uh, that was a big key to my, my career. That makes total sense. I wrote a chapter of my book called Say Yes and Figure It Out Later. And it right. really embraces that, doesn't it? Um, tell me, how, how do you define success? Well, I, uh, it, it was a long road along the way to figure that out. And I think I finally, well, I don't know if I figured it out, but I've, I've, I have definitely have a point of view on it. Um, you know, er, early in my career, I was always, I was always loved experiences. You know, we traveled when I was growing up and um, I just, I, I loved the new experiences and I knew that was important. Uh, and, and you have times in your career where you get pretty ambitious and you're kind of, uh, we tend to compare ourselves to others, which is a very dangerous game to play. Um, and so where I've sort of crystallized it now, a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is, um, you know, having a, I think the holistic life experience. So I, I have something I call, uh, I have my personal scorecard and my personal scorecard involves three things I measure pretty much on a daily basis. How well did I take care of myself today? How well did I take care of friends and family and how well did I do in my job? And those are the three. And so every day you're trading something off for something else. Um, but my, my number one priority is me. And when I tell audiences that they're like, think, I'm sure they're thinking that's pretty selfish. It should be your kids and your, your, your family. But the reality is if I can, if I can feel good about myself physically, I can get a workout in working out is basically my, my stress reliever. That's how I feel really good about things, getting enough sleep, being organized, just all the stuff to get yourself in the right place. Uh, and then family and friends, are you delivering your responsibilities and doing what you agreed you do? And then, you know, career wise, and if you can get all those th three things to integrate and, uh, and, and be hitting it on, on all cylinders, that's success. The thing is usually a two out of three day is a really good day. Uh, some days if I, you know, if I get up early and go to work on something, then I don't take a run Then I, you know, I got a zero today taking care of myself for other days. I may have a whole bunch of, um, work to do, but I decide to go work out and then I'm behind on my, so it's about sacrificing. There is no silver bullet to it. You're always making decisions across the board. And the other concept I share a lot is, um, this idea, run your own race. And that's really hard to do. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I, uh, we would do some half marathons. We never did full, we never got into the full out crazy athletic piece, but, um, you know, you, you go run a race and some, some random person runs by you a lot of times you start to follow them. It's like, you don't know them. You don't know how long they've been training. Why are you competing with this random person? Um, and so you just got to stay in your own head and say, look, I am running my own race. So I'm a big believer that you got to, you have to define what success is for yourself. And no one can tell you what success is. And no one can tell you what bar you need to set. You need to decide what that bar is. And as life goes on, you may reset the bar. But um, social media today and all, all the comparisons we make, I think it's very um, unhealthy. And um, you should not tell people who they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to do. And it was the same with our kids. We raised them that way. We said, look, we're going to give you direction. We're going to give you choices. But at the end of the day, this is your life. And you do what you think you need to do. And we're going to give you as much advice as possible. But this is it's up to you now to figure out what you want to do. I love that a lot. Um... I had a salesperson that was finished often number one in our office, uh, ran a real estate office and other people used to come to me and say, you know, uh, I want to finish number one. And I said, yeah, well, this guy has no kids. He has no family. He works seven days a week in real estate. He doesn't exercise. And 
you're comparing yourself to somebody when you have three kids and you take to, like that doesn't make sense you right. know in that arena so so thank you for sharing that yeah so that being said as as you work your way toward being the best version of yourself tell us a little bit about how important culture is because a lot of people look for a place to belong and i'm imagining that being in a place with a heavy culture makes you feel like you're part of something tell us a little bit about that yeah well i, I first of all i love the fact you use the word belong um that really is i was i was uh, talking to someone last week about that we talk about diversity and inclusion and a lot of times that's what the company's point of view is but belonging is the employee's point of view belonging is how you feel about things and so we've done some reading you know my book how's the culture in your kingdom it's all about that and uh how do you you know fit in and um as we try to define culture, we, one of the things we just kind of came up with was culture is how things are done around here, right? It's just kind of how, what we value. And so um, I think the, one of the most important things about making sure that you are in a culture that you're going to belong in is pick the right culture. You know, Disney's not for everyone and Google's not for everyone. And you, you make a list, every, everyone has a different culture. I think people think, well, I'm going to go in a culture and try to fit in and belong. And um, you, there's a certain, I think, certain values you need to have and a certain way you need to um, to work to fit into a culture. Now, that doesn't mean that we, you don't want different points of view. You don't want diversity. You don't want people from different backgrounds and different experiences. But um, at Disney, for example, um, if you uh, if you have a big ego and you like to be in the limelight, that's not a great place to work because nothing, you know, we don't value that. We value humility and we value the team effort. Uh, if you, um, if you don't like, you know, I, I used to ask people in interviews, uh, how important is it for you to work independently? You know, that doesn't sound like a trick question. It's not, but if people said, I really like working independently and on my own, I said, well, you're going to be miserable at Disney because no one works independently. It's all interdependent. You're always right. working with other people. So I think the number one thing is before you go in, don't kind of look at a, don't look at a, a culture and just say, I like that culture. If you like it, figure out if it fits with who you are. It has to be a right fit place. Some people thrive in the military and other people, you know, no way. Some people thrive working in, independently on their own. That's great too. So um, culture is not, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just a place where you're going to feel like you belong and you fit in. And a lot of companies, uh, I, I give advice to students, you know, you can look up, you can Google any company, usually it lists their values. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. You really got to get the inside word. Is this okay? They have a list of values because you're every company's supposed to have a list of values, but do they really support behaviors that support those values? Uh, and that's how my wife and I have looked at when we talk to companies is if you, if your company is, um, you want to develop people, that's a big value you have. I want to see everything you're currently doing to actually develop people. And there, there's a gap there between what you say and what you do. And that's usually a, you know, a big thing in, in life with everything is, are you actually living your values? And it doesn't mean companies have to be perfect, but um, uh, that, that's what it looks like to me. Who do, who do we say we're going to be and what do we actually do to be that? And, and, and if you can bridge that, that's where you create culture, personal culture in your home, 
uh, your life culture, family culture. I mean, culture's everywhere. And there's people say, well, how, how, how are things at Walt Disney World? I'm like, well, tell me who your boss is and where you work, you know, because there's microcultures. So there's right. an overarching culture. Like we work together. We're really proud of working here. And then every small uh, area you're in, there's a, people are influencing in a different way. And that, once again, that can be good or bad, depending on who the influencer is. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, Dan. It's beautiful. So I have a community, a mastermind group, and we have sayings that help keep people in the culture, like how you do anything is how you do everything, or we are passionately curious, or literally say yes and figure it out later. What are some of the, the language or terms that were used in Disney that allowed people to go, like never walk by a problem or pick up, you know, litter? Disney has a reputation of being very clean. Can sure. you share some of those sayings with us? Yeah. So, uh, there's, there's one that, uh, it's, it goes, it's kind of that Disney lore. There's a term that we used a lot called uh, green side up. And, um, back when Walt Disney world opened, it was like the day before the opening and you know, every, everything that opens the, the, the day before nothing, the, the, the paint is still wet and you know, you're, you're scrambling and a, there's a massive amount of uh, grass and sod that had not been laid yet. And we had to get that laid. And, um, so uh, they went out, um, the, the, the Dick Nunes, who's running the operation, went out and he pulled everyone out of their offices, finance people, everyone and said, um, all right, guys, today you're just going to lay sod because we have guests arriving tomorrow. This place has to look presentable. And some people said, well, I've never done that. I don't know how that works. And he gave the directions, green side up. <laughs> that was it. So, so we talk about that today. And when we talk about green side up, it means all hands on deck. And if you don't know how to do it, find someone that does. And we're all going to do this together. And it's a big part of our culture. Uh, executives work in the operation. We, we do uh, in-costume experiences, um, support people, finance, marketing, come in during the holidays and work in the parks just to get closer to that business. So that's something we talk about. Um, there's a, a personal saying I've, I've used. It's not really a Disney thing, but it's one of my mantras that my grandfather left with me was, um, you know, do your best, then forgive yourself. And, uh, you know, he was at the Naval Academy, the three-year class, went to war, uh, retired to rear admiral. So he was an impressive gentleman. And uh, I love that phrase, you do your best and then you forgive yourself. Because the first part we always hear, right? Do your best, of course. Yes. Uh, the other part is we don't do very well. We don't forgive ourselves when we fail because sometimes our best is not good enough. And we got to give ourselves a break and say, we're going to keep trying. And that's that growth mindset. That's that thing where you're always pushing and you're willing to, to fall short and uh and fail um the uh that role modeling i'm, I'm it's really not an expression for it but um like you said at, at disney everyone's a custodian and that comes from walt disney the stories he told early on he wanted a clean safe place for families to visit together and so he invented or created the theme park concept and that's a huge piece now that it still lives in the culture you don't walk past a piece of trash on the ground you pick it up and everyone picks it up and you don't call custodial to do that because it's all our jobs and everyone helps guests if a guest comes up and asks you a question if you don't know the answer you find the answer you don't pass them on to someone else i love and, that and a lot of that is their sayings but even more importantly i think it, what i found is super powerful is um, role modeling people have to see other people doing it managers and leaders have to uh, be able to jump on a register and ring people up. And I've had some great um, ca uh, cast members as we call them over the years. And it's funny. One, one, uh, one lady told me I, who worked in my, in the area, she said, Dan, I was, I was working in a hotel. Actually, I was the operations manager of the front desk and housekeeping. And I, I it was my first resort job. 
And she said, Dan, I've been here a long time and uh, you look like you're going to fit in here, but let me, let me tell you something, how we work. Sometimes, most of the time, we just need you as a leader. We need you to motivate us and get us the tools we need. And then sometimes we just need you to get on a computer and start checking people in. And you just, you're going to have to recognize when to do that. I thought that was such a wise thing to say. Uh -huh. Leaders sometimes need to lead and sometimes they just need to go fill a position and do the work. Yeah, and, get it done. Uh, figure out when to do one or the other. And I thought that was uh, powerful advice. I love it. Make it happen no matter what attitude, just, you know, work as a team. That's really great. So you had 19 different jobs. Is there any one of them that you really, you know, fondly remember and or maybe reminisce with us as you, you know, grew through and you grew up through the ranks? Uh, there must yeah. be some 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 teams, some team people you worked with that that were special and in its own oh, yeah. way. There was I mean, there were gosh, um, the, the one, you know, my first management training role was opening, you know, I'd worked at Epcot parking cars. So I, I had an opportunity to go to France as a management trainee to open. How's your French? Uh, it's very good. My wife is from France. And so although, although I have to say, no one ever um, asked me what part of France I was from when I lived in France. <laughs> that was for sure. Me either. I'm from Canada. <laughs> there you go. But uh, no, it was, I learned to speak French at 23 years old and it was so hard to do. I kept up with, I'm like, I'm not losing this. It was too painful to learn. And so, uh, um, but anyway, we, you know, we opened the park there and I got there and boy, talk about clueless. I mean, it was January. I was in Florida, December. It's nice weather. It's in the seventies every day and everyone speaks English. And, you know, it's like all of a sudden I'm in France. It's dark. Everyone speaks French. I don't know what's going on. It was a pretty stressful time. But I grew, I mean, it's, you know, that phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That mm -hmm. first year in France was really, uh, and my mind, I think my, my mindset got me through it because I decided on the plane flying over, um, look, I, I, I know very basic French, but if I have, a, I have an excuse right now, I've never lived in France, but if I'm here a year from now and still can't communicate, that's now on me. So I'm not going to worry about messing up. I'm not going to worry about being self-conscious. I'm just going to jump in and, and whatever word I can come up with, I'm just going to figure this out. And it's unreal when you open your mind up and you get immersed in these environments. And to your point, you said you were uh, proactively, or I think, uh, curious. You're aggressively curious about, and all of a sudden you learn words. And when you're stuck, you ask that word and people are very helpful when they see you trying to do that. So that year was, it was quite a year. I mean, we had all kinds of all these um, cultural differences and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. So that was a good one. And then one I, I remember very fondly was being the general manager at the wilderness lodge and the Fort wilderness campground. That was my first executive role with the company. I was, and uh, it was just, it's an incredible resort. Uh, it's, it's kind of after the North Northwest United States, um, uh, the national parks, uh, and the diversity of it. You had this beautiful hotel, the Disney vacation club. Um, then you had Fort wilderness, which is campers and million dollar trailers that people come in their big, uh, buses and the hoop to do, uh, dinner show, which was the longest running dinner show in the United States and just all kinds of really, really, uh, neat people. And uh, I, lo I love that job. But, but like you said, I got, I got something out of every single job I was in, you know, all 19 yeah. jobs, you learn something. And the, the, the thing that really was great was, uh, and I, I tell this again to young people, you don't realize the value of experience until after. 
when you're in these moments in the middle of these jobs, you really don't know what you're learning. All you know is you're getting in every day and making it through the day. But then right. when you go to the next job, all of a sudden, you're saying, wow, I, I have a point of view on that now. And I've done that before. And you bring these experiences to apply to the next job. And those just keep multiplying and, and go on each other. I think that's the case with jobs. And I think it's the case in life. When you get lots of different experiences, you start to learn to have lots of different ways to handle and deal with things. And uh, it's, uh, it's very um, rewarding. That's beautiful. I love the way you say that you now have a point of view on something. So you gain that experience. And now you have a point of view on it. it. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just a new perspective. Right. I really believe that the people who can adapt best in life have multiple ways of looking at things, and then they can choose from that menu how to respond. That's Absolutely. beautiful. And it's also interesting that um, <clears throat> often we look back at afterwards, like you said, the most difficult things like going to, to Paris and learning a new language and and that intensity brings back the memory as we grew through it. Sometimes it's tough and sometimes we look back and we go, man, that was really cool. I ran a half marathon. I went to Paris. I learned a new language and right. you carry that with you forward. So and a, a quick uh, another uh, big moment of learning for me uh, at one point. Um, I was uh, that that same hotel I was in that first resort job was uh, it's called the all star resort. And it's got it's a campus resort and, and it's got three smaller hotels within it. But each hotel has about 2000 rooms. So all it's 6000 rooms in total, a huge place. And I remember when I first got that job at uh, one of the one of the um, themes is the operations manager. And I eventually went back to become the GM a few years later, but I was the operations manager. And I remember I was dealing with a, a situation and the more I tried to fix it, the worse it got. It was just, I couldn't do anything right. I finally called my boss and said, uh, Dwan, I need help here. I just, I can't figure this out. So he came in and he, you know, within half an hour, the guest was fine. It was solved. It was good. And I remember going to him afterwards. I said, well, why did, why did, could you deal with that so quickly? And I couldn't, I was frustrated. He said, well, first of all, I've been in hotels my whole career. I haven't been in parks. You're new here. So you're going to, and I have a different perspective because I wasn't involved in it. And he said, Dan, just, just think about this. When things are going bad, they're usually not, not nearly as bad as you think they are. Mm -hmm. When things are going well, they're usually not going nearly as well as you think they are. So it's a little bit of don't get overwhelmed because things are going to be okay. We always come out the other end if we keep the right mindset. And when things are going well, you should be a little paranoid and don't assume everything's just going to be always be all right. And just, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's that, that idea. Wow, I feel really fit and, and I feel good. So maybe I'll stop working out. Well, no, no. The reason you're feeling good is because you're doing that. So keep going forward. And I think when times are good, we kind of uh, go on cruise control. And I think that's the best time to push ourselves further when we're feeling good about things and things are going well. That's the time to push forward because we got the momentum, we have the energy. And uh, so you never know when those, that, those little moments in your life are going to stay with you and become philosophies. Um, you just got to pay attention because those, those pop up in the random places. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. So um, how do you think now that we're going through this pandemic, how do you think uh, Disney is pivoting and handling this? What are some of the important things that are happening in the world during something like this? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a really hard time right now. You know, there's been uh, so far 28,000 cast members have been laid off frontline employees, um, managers. And so uh, we actually, um, you know, my dad worked there for 16 years. He retired uh, back in 06. 
Um, and he and I and my wife, we've done uh, been doing webinars to talk to them and say, look, we're going to tell you about life after Disney and you guys are going to be okay. And so we were sort of uniquely positioned to do that because we weren't with a company anymore. But um, coming right now, it's, it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal because when you have that kind of culture, nothing like this has ever happened. And so I think the company went as long as they could, um, you know, running the parks and the operations. And then when it, you know, when they're looking at it now, you just can't sustain that financially to keep everyone on, on, on the team. So I think one is, uh, and ironically, Walt Disney world has been open for a few months now and Disneyland is still closed. And I think those are just political differences in each state. One takes more risk than the other, which is fine. But, um, Walt Disney world has done an incredible job. I know that they're going to keep, um, you know, things are going to, they're going to keep a lot of the processes they have in place to keep people safe in the future. And they're learning a ton around this about how to handle these situations. I don't think everyone, anyone ever thought how much um, risk there was with a pandemic affecting the parks to this degree. Um, and you know, the company, they just announced they're really going to be diving into the Disney plus service streaming services. Um, you know, the uh, people working from home now. I mean, I think we've, I don't know, we've probably leapfrogged five to 10 years of yeah. uh, adopting technology in the past few months because the ones on the fence are definitely on using it now. And the ones that didn't want to use it have to use it. And the ones that want always wanted to use it are now going to accelerate how much better it gets. So Agreed. the company's always, you know, they've always made adjustments. They've always um, been able to, to pivot and figure out and get really creative. And I guarantee you right now, there's a bunch of people brainstorming on what Disney's going to look like in the next five years. And uh, they're not sitting by and waiting just for this to go away. They're going to redefine it like great companies do uh, is reinvent themselves and figure out what, you know, people are going to need in the future. So, and that's a, it's not clear what it's going to be, but you got to come up with options and start thinking about things and not wait until, uh, cause once, if you wait too long, once things pick up again, it's too late and you're behind. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of innovation going to happen in the next 12 months for sure. Who are some of the people that you, I mean, I'm sure being in Disney, you've come across so many people on the planet, wonderfully successful people, celebrities, and maybe some rising stars that you got to see come up and now our household names, maybe take us down that trip a little bit. Some of the people that you met that influenced you or that just you thought, wow, what a beautiful soul. Yeah. Well, I think there's two, two buckets to that. People ask me sometimes like, who are the mentors in your life? And I really did learn early on that, you know, you, obviously you have coaches and mentors, people who are, um, above you from a position standpoint that have a lot of wisdom. And I've had a lot of people like that. I've had a lot of great bosses over the years, but I've learned over time that everyone can be an example. Um, like that man, that frontline employee at the all-star who told me, Hey, Dan, let me tell you a little bit about how, what we value. I mean, that was just great. You know? And I think this idea that a lot of organizations will say, well, you know, a frontline employee can't tell the operations manager how to do their job well i'm like yes they can they should and i just learned over time if you listen to your people they a lot of people have this wisdom and we get caught up that we're okay if i make a certain amount of money and i have a certain title and i've been promoted somehow i'm now more i'm smarter have a, a more of a point of view than others and that's just ridiculous it's not that's not the case everyone has something to offer and if you're willing to listen you can learn a lot um because people have incredibly um um interesting personal and professional lives. So a couple was, you know, Disney, you get a lot of people who retire, but they want to stay busy. And so they come work part-time in the parks. Mm. And I never 
I never took it for granted when I met these people. And sure enough, when I started asking them, because you're your manager and, oh, hey, welcome to the team. And I'd always ask people, okay, what did you do in your prior life? And sometimes people say, well, I, you know, I was an accountant or I did this or that. And a few times, you know, one guy was like, well, I was the, um, you know, executive vice president for sales at IBM. I'm like, really? <laughs> Tell me. More. And you know, he's driving the train three days a yeah. week. Yeah. And, you know, he, he wasn't, he hadn't, he'd been there for a while. He hadn't shared that with anyone because he wasn't there to try to prove himself. He was enjoying life again and he had made right. his money and he had to get up and do something every morning. And he always dreamed about driving a train to Disney. And so he became one of my coaches. I'd, I'd bring him in my office and say, Hey, we're thinking about doing a couple of these things. What do you think? And he was giving me like high level consulting advice. But once again, I'd asked him that question. I just yes. didn't assume because he's wearing a name tag and a train costume that he didn't have something to offer. Right. So that was kind of cool. Um, yeah. Some of the other stories, I mean, people, um, you know, I met, uh, I spent when, uh, let me see, this was 1994 was the 25th anniversary of the moon landing. And um, Buzz, Buzz Aldrin was sort of the emissary traveling the world and giving speeches because Neil Armstrong didn't really do a lot of that. And uh, we opened Space Mountain that year at Disneyland Paris, and I was in guest relations. And so I was assigned to spend the week with him and his family to make sure he got to all his events on time and spent a lot of time talking to him. Very smart guy. And, you know, obviously these guys were, they were extremely intelligent and totally crazy to get in these rockets it could blow up they had both of those things going for them but we talked about things and he talked about the fact that you know he did pretty he did okay coming back but he said um, the space program they 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 would do psychological tests but i don't think they understood how um life-changing going to another going to the moon was and a lot of them had problems afterwards because they just couldn't sort of put how do you top that right yeah. I mean, yeah. A lot of them were really young and it's like, okay, I've done that now. Now what? And these were high achievers and you can't, what am I going to do now above that? And he, you know, he did a lot of things. So that was really neat to spend time with him. And his son actually was a rocket scientist. He was a, he spent time in Russia helping them with their program. Um, the, um, um, to your point, it wasn't really, I, I you know the people I met who were really interesting. It usually wasn't the celebrities and the, cause I met, you know, we did tours and I didn't spend, you know, personally get to know a lot of them but we would handle a lot of things it was those individuals it was the family from iowa that had saved up for five years and this was like the one time they were going to come to walt disney world they'd driven and this was like one of the like biggest trips of their life and their the kids were there and just were so excited those were the people i love talking to because a we would find you know other ways to create some magic for them and do things special um, and it was, it was a great way to talk to our employees and say, look, guys, I want to remind everybody, you know, everyone that comes here isn't, aren't these like really rich people that come here once a year or twice every year with their kids. There are these families. This is like the biggest trip they're ever going to make. They've seen the commercials. This is a really expensive place. So the responsibility we have is treat everyone, pretend every day is opening day. Every guest is going to be, this is like the, one of the, the moments of their life. It may or may not be, but we have to treat it that way because we've created that brand for people. And th those are the fun ones to see. And, you know, sad moments, the, the last trips, you know, a lot of um, Make-A-Wish Foundation, a family would be there. And this was the last trip they were going to make as a family because one of their family members was 
um, was going to was critically ill and was going to pass away. And they wanted to have their last memories at Walt Disney World so they could come back later and remember these people. So it was a big responsibility. And it was it was great to have that responsibility, but you could feel the weight on your shoulders many days. Why do you think it is that humans get so much joy out of watching other humans have joy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but we, we studied it. You know, we, um, we have a term at Disney called, um, magical moments. And uh, the idea is, um, I don't know, you come in with your kids to the, the, uh, confectionery shop and we're going to take one of your kids and put a little apron on them and have them decorate brownies and then take a brownie for the family. You know, you had that moment and they took a picture together and that's the moment. Well, we found at Disney, it's funny you mentioned that, um, you get you get credit for that, right? When, when you create those moments, people go from a very good experience to an excellent experience. And their intent to recommend, intent to return goes from, I'll probably be back again to I definitely will be back again. And the difference between that is just, for a biz, from a business standpoint, is huge. Having, a, having someone say they're definitely coming back. And so um, we started to determine that um, you got you got a lot of credit for the people who saw that little child making the brownies and they don't even know that family, but they could put themselves in their shoes and, and have that moment with them. So we, we were very, I would say scientific about it. We said, where, where can we create these moments and where can we create these moments that a lot of people get to see it because then everyone gets to participate. And um, I guess that's just the human condition. I think people are um, have empathy built into them. Uh, they just love to see, other moments i think we can put ourselves in people's shoes and we don't have to have that moment but we can imagine what it feels like uh, that's that's a good question that's you probably need to get a psychologist off to, to understand that one <laughs> yeah um so 26 years doing it yeah yep what advice would you give somebody coming up that is looking to have such a successful career like yourself? What are some of the things you learned along the way? Boy, uh, I would say uh, that piece being um, open-minded, being, being willing to learn new things. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to learn new things. That's why we kind of get in our, our rut. We, we, we learn a certain routine. We do certain things a certain way because it's more efficient. And that's, you know, even working out, if you run the same distance every day, your body gets used to it and doesn't burn as many calories and doesn't do as much because it's used to that, that grind. So you got to figure out ways to change things up. And that's one of the hardest things I had moving up to the company is learning how to think differently. Uh, Cause we had these, just these, blind spots that we don't see. We don't see the opportunities around us. And I've seen so many uh, employees at Disney. Some of them just would call. They'd say, hey, I'd like to meet and talk to you. And it was an open door policy. And you had other cast members who said, you know, I never get an opportunity. Why, why do you get so lucky? Why do you always get a chance to meet these interesting people and everything? It's not luck. People create their own luck. They go out, they're willing to take a risk, make a call. If the person says no, they just say, okay, I'll call someone else and all these doors open. Uh, so I think that's a big thing of this is you have to sort of um, be very structured and organized to be able to deal with the complex world we're in. But you also have to be willing to be spontaneous and go off your plan if an opportunity arises. And some people get so disciplined and so proud of their discipline and planning everything very obvious things that could be 
set open a new door for them they're not open to because they want to get to that next meeting on time or they want to get that next thing done and uh, then you have other people who you know they have no plan and they're just wander around they get lots of experiences but they can never put it into a plan and they're not reliable and so um, you know everything in life I think is on a continuum and usually the right answer is in the middle be highly organized but also be open to chance opportunities um, or be um, um, you know, be really straightforward with people and your expectations, uh, but also uh, build relationships with them and be really friendly. Uh, people think those are mutually exclusive and you can't do both, but you can. Uh, so that, that, that's a big one. And this idea of getting um, exposure, just getting exposure and experiences, it just changes. It'll change your life. You know, going to France for five years, that totally changed the world, the way I saw the world. Um, I found a wife. I have three kids now who have dual nationalities, I, you know, just that one thing. And so these, these moments open these doors. And uh, I think a lot of people look long-term, well, what can I plan on being successful in the future? Well, you can't necessarily plan on the jobs you want because look what just happened. A bunch of jobs just went away that are never coming back. And a bunch of jobs are going to be created that we don't even know what they are yet. So you really can't plan of what you want to do in the future. You can only know how you're going to handle it and the attitude you're going to take towards it and apply those principles to the changing environment. And uh, that's the way we raised our kids. Um, be open-minded and be willing to change. We don't know what the world's going to look like in the future, but it's, you know, we'd go on vacation places. You got to take one bite. If you don't like it, you don't have to take another bite, but you're going to try everything. And uh, that's, that's kind of, I think that's a good way to go after life. Try everything. And some things you're going to stick and some things you're going to say, that's not my thing and move on, but you won't know until you do it. And uh, once again, we just don't find the time to do that. As we become adults, we want to become more efficient. We are less creative because we don't like wasting time, but that wasted time a lot of times is going to have be that your next opportunity. Man, a lot of sage advice. I love it. What, um, what are you excited about now going forward as you shift gears? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I've been doing this for two years now um, are running our own consulting company and uh, we just sold our house in Orlando. We're moving out to Colorado. We got rid of, I don't know, 70% of our worldly items and sold them or gave them away. And uh, we're streamlining our life. And uh, we are, I think that was the big thing we looked at is do we want to keep kind of try to accumulate wealth because you know, when you're an executive at Disney, you get paid every Thursday and you get stock options, you get all these benefits. But then what are, are you getting to really go see and do things? So like we said, we kind of traded security for freedom. And now we are open. And this pandemic has forced us to think differently about how we do our business, how to become really comfortable with technology and doing things online. Uh, we created a university course um, uh, for that while we we're in this pandemic. We're like, let's create a university course and see if that will sell. So we've opened our minds up to really kind of figure out new things. Um, there's the traditional things, you know, the, the keynote speeches and workshops. And but we're going to keep looking for we're, we're in a total open minded mode right now. And our job, our, our life uh, goal right now is collect experiences. And whether that's with our family or on our own. Um, that's where we're kind of focusing our attention and it's been a lot of fun. Now it's not without stress. Um, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, if you don't do anything, nothing happens. You know, Disney world, world and most of the years opens every day. And if you show up or not, that thing's still opening. And, uh, but when you're an entrepreneur, it's just kind of, uh, you have to be creative and open-minded and really not know what's around the corner, which is hard to unlearn after 26 years of being in a highly structured environment. But 
it's been uh it's been a lot of fun a ton of work i'm working harder now than i have in the past 10 years at disney and uh but that you know that the idea of being rewarding you get to work on what you love doing has been awesome and i wouldn't trade it for anything what's the university you created well it's a it's a course um uh there's well there's a couple things we've done so uh it's called uh, my book how's the culture in your kingdom we use that as the textbook and our daughter just graduated from the university of colorado and so we said uh we we uh, met a gentleman at suffolk community college up in new york and he said look why don't you create a, a course and i'll pilot it for you i'll test it out so we create a 13-week uh course it, you get an ebook, you get a, a student workbook, there's a professor workbook. He told us, you know, these days there's a lot of adjunct professors out there. And usually they get a call three days before class starts and said, can you take on this class? And so they said, if you can create something that's turnkey, that's going to be the reading quizzes are done, the final exam, the midterm exam, everything's ready to roll. Uh, and so we create a, a, a teacher's guide. We create a, a student's guide. We created, we have the PDF version of the book online. I create a bunch of videos to prepare the professor for the teaching the class. And it's 100% uh, electronic. And so like we said, we're testing it out. And it really is a lot of concepts of management 101. Uh, but we've added the other flair to it, like leading self. You know, a lot of management courses don't teach that. But we think that's really important. You learn how to lead self. And then how do you lead a team? Um, how do you think strategically? We have case studies. There's lots of case studies from my experiences at Disney, um, rolling out new projects, how to organize things. So it's very, I think, uh, relevant and very hands-on. There's not a whole bunch of uh, um, uh, concepts, sort of these intangible concepts. We want real concepts that people can learn. And I speak, I do, I speak to each class during the semester and just do a Q&A with them. So like I said, we would never have created that if this pandemic hadn't formed because we wouldn't have thought about it. We wouldn't have had time to do it. And so this idea, you know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So when the pandemic came, we said, all right, we, there's a bunch of stuff we can't do now. So let's focus on what we can do. And we created mastermind, free mastermind sessions with like 200 people. We created a college course. We, and so there's, uh, once again, you, you can sit around and wait or you can get busy. And I think a lot of times if you get busy, you'll discover stuff you never, never would have considered. Well, you know, I love the idea of what you're doing because I'd rather learn from you about management and leadership than some professor that makes $80,000 a year that's never been in the real world. And this is one of my pet peeves is that there's a lot of people teaching from a book but not from real life experience. And as you're pivoting during the real world right now, you can bring all that experience. So I hope that you get to expose that to a lot of young minds out there so that they can really learn from somebody who's got 26 years and 19 different jobs and a lot of passion and speaks a couple of languages and has different culture, literally from one side of the world to the other. So, you know, how can people get in touch with that? How can they follow you, reach you and get hold of your, your teachings? Sure. We have two websites. Uh, the one I built originally, dancockrell.com. And then the one my wife built a few months ago, that's 10 times better. <laughs> Cockrellconsulting.com. <laughs> so dancockrell.com, cockrellconsulting.com. And I'll also put, um, I'll, I'll send you the link to put in the show notes for this. Uh, my dad just launched uh, the Cockrell Academy, which is his project. And he's got uh, all kinds of videos in there to talk about his experiences working for Marriott and working for Disney. And, and it's very practical information. It's on time management, decision-making. Um, and once again, 
uh, it's, it's all real, real life, real time stuff. And it's, uh, we think that there's a practical approach to teaching that uh, needs to be done this way. And we're going to keep pushing the envelope on that. But those are the two websites and our emails on there, our, our cell phone numbers. I've learned at Disney, be accessible. Don't make people have to find you. So when, if you call that number, you're going to get me or you'll get my voicemail. I'll be sure to call you back. But we thought that was another differentiator for us in this world of all these barriers and things is let people talk to you. So that's what we do. That's fantastic. This has been a real pleasure for me. Just a couple of more things before I let you go. You know, one of the things I teach is for people to create uh, financial freedom for themselves so they can do what they want. They don't have to work. They could go to Disney for a week with their kids and, and not go like, oh, I can't do that. And so they, they have to be good at making investments and managing their money. You've, I imagine, got paid fairly well. You have some stock op options. Um, did you do other things to invest and diversify yourself or did you just kind of stay in one lane? Well, uh, the thing that I discovered, you know, I, I got a political science degree, so I was never a big numbers guy. And so um, what I tell people personally is hire a professional, go to a, your bank, go to a, one of these and, and hire someone and um, to, to do this for you and figure out what your plan is. And you may not always connect with the right person, the right time, first time around, but um, it took my wife and I, you know, we went to... Um, we're at Merrill Lynch. And the first time we went, you know, they said, well, how old do you want to be when you retire? And how much money do you want to have? And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is too, these questions are too big. And <laughs> so we, we, we left and six months later, we went back and we said, we think this is about where we want to be. And it took a couple of years to actually come up with a plan. And I think a lot of people are so intimidated. They figure, well, I can't plan that far in the future. So they don't even get started but you got to have these conversations and, and you're not going to, you're not going to figure it all out in that one meeting. It's going to be a, a continuous process. You're and a lot of couples have problems talking about financials. You have to get comfortable with that and you have to agree on, and you may not always agree at the beginning, but keep having those dialogues. So once again, hire a professional. And uh, the other one is I just, I even look back and you know, I signed up for a 401k when I first started working for the company. Um, looking back, I would have done even more to put money aside because the company, you know, as I think um, Einstein said, the eighth wonder of the world is compounding interest. Right. And um, even I was with on junior achievement, the board for JA, we, we teach uh, kids about financial literacy and leadership and entrepreneurship. And uh, I learned a lot about that. So basically when our kids turn 16 and we're at they had odd jobs, we uh, opened up a Roth IRA for all three of them. And uh, as, as long as a child has earned income, you can open a Roth IRA. Even if your kid's 12 and mows your lawn, if you document it, you pay them and you have the records, you can pay them whatever you're going to pay them and put the match into a Roth IRA up to $5,000. And, you know, when you start putting money in when they're 16 and you figure these kids, they're going to be led to be over 100 by the time science, by the time they get old, right. science is going to be there. So think about, you know, 70 years of compounding interest. That's pretty powerful. And that's the one thing that I think kids have we don't have. We have a whole bunch of stuff. We have wisdom, experience, money, everything. They have time. So take advantage of that time and get started early. And then the other thing I think is you really have to figure out, don't let society tell you what, what success looks like. Cause a lot of people, and especially in the United States, it's wealth. It's what you have. It's the brand of car. It's a lot of those things. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's, are you content? 
and you can be content with a heck of a lot less. And that was another thing living in France I learned a lot about is how do you become comfortable with less? Um, America, you know, everything's big here. I mean, I had friends from France visit and showed them what a super big gulp looked like. <laughs> like, oh my God, that's crazy. Everything's big. Uh, so um, uh, plan, plan early, hire professional. And uh, I think once again, in my mind, focus on experiences because those, those last much longer. They get better as time goes on and uh, they don't ever wear out. You don't have to buy a new one. You just get new, you just, you know, you don't have to go yeah. back and get one. You just keep getting new ones. Yeah, run your own race, right? So I, I love it. Yep. Um, all right, your last meal, who do you have it with? Oh, boy. My wife. <laughs> I imagine you were going to say that, so I'll give you a second meal then. <laughs> so, I mean, is this, so I've never had this one. Some people say if anyone in history you'd like to have a meal with, my yeah, last dead meal. Yeah, or alive. Dead or alive. Gosh. Well, yeah, the way you tee that one up, it has to be with people I've spent my, my life with is, is, is I've spent time with and talk about what the experiences were, you know, have a, I would love, I would love to go back and get, you know, get my, my grandparents and my parents, all the kids together and have like f five or six generations sit in a room and talk about, you know, and tell that generation from six generations ago what happened to their family and what they ended up doing. I think that would be, that would be a lot of fun. And I have dreams about that sometimes. I have dreams about talking to my, my, my grandmother and telling her what happened. And they would be so happy to see their great grandkids and, you know, what they've done and what they figured out. So it's in my, you know, my grandfather, who is a rear admiral and naval architect, I would love him so much to come back now and see what happened with technology. He would just be, you know, back in the day, he bought one of the first, um, desktop computers and he was programming to make labels for his uh navy reunions and no one knew how to do that if he saw what was happening today i mean i just saw i'm kind of going on a tangent but i just saw something online it showed uh, all the scenes from the jetsons and you look at everything it's like we got just about everything they put in that show right now <laughs> you know the flying yeah. cars are around they're not as as as, as, as prevalent as they are in the Jetsons, but everything else, the TV, the automated vacuum cleaner, I mean, you, you name it, yeah. it's there, robots. And so uh, I would love them to see that. Yeah, so cool, so true. Well, Dan Cockerell, I wanna thank you so much for joining me on uh, this podcast and um, your book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Where's the best place for them to get that? Uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, your okay. local bookstore. We always like to talk about that and order it from your local bookstore and support them uh, online, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever you order books, uh, they're there. Um, if you want, um, I also have culture-kingdom.com. And if you go there, you get a bunch of bonuses I'll send you if you buy it from me and I'll, you'll get a signed copy with your name in it. So that's a little extra if, uh, if you're that website. That's fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners, remember that your job is to get out there and rock your money, take responsibility so you can have choices to create experiences like Dan's talking about. Meet with somebody, get that conversation started, and then you can rock your life for the rest of your life. You don't have to wait till you're 65 to go to Disney World with your family. You can go at a younger age if you do things right. So Dan, thank you so much. It's been a real, real pleasure. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. 
Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's Free Gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.